Morning. All right. Morning. Listen, there are some people standing up in the back, so if you feel comfortable and you like to scoot in a little bit, we can get them some seats so that they can sit with people. That would be awesome. Sit with you. And so, um, yeah, they're coming around. They may choose to, like, do it later so you don't look at them right now as they walk up. But it's been, it's weird to have a standing room only again. Man, that was fast. You guys didn't, you guys didn't wait around too long. Thank you. Thank you, for, um, thank you for being supportive of the work that we're doing out there and, um, and, and giving to that. It's really, it's an important space for us. As you know, we've signed a lease. We're going to be here for about 10 more years. And so um, the opportunity to create this space the way that we want it to be and get the most out of the community spaces that we have are really important to us. And so thank you for doing that. I know you guys are going to be incredibly faithful in the way that you give to that project. And we are in week four, moving towards the end. Next week is going to be so cool. Our future of our college group is going to come over and just take over the platform, take over the stage. Pastor Andy's going to preach. It's going to be amazing. So you cannot miss next week. You need to be here. All right. Yeah. We definitely want to see you here and be a part of that. And um, they're, they're so incredible. It's just amazing, man. We're so blessed to have so many phenomenal people here at Crosswalk Church. And I um, also want to give a shout out to one of our newest groups that has started meeting and is looking forward to going through the process of perhaps becoming a campus. Um, we've got a group in outside of Houston and north of Houston in what's called the Woodlands. And they are right now love well the Woodlands. So we're excited for them. And hopefully they're watching today and checking out what it is that um, we do and learning about it. I was in a meeting with them this morning before church started. So just a lot of good stuff going on. The best thing that's happening today is Pastor Patty is um, going to speak at a church with no air conditioning in Portland. And that makes me so happy because he sent me a picture of himself with a, a tie on, which is, he sent, me, he sent me the link and he said, listen, this is why I love Crosswalk. I never have to wear one of these. And I was like, oh, you do now. But anyway, it's going to be like 108, so pray for him because he's probably going to be melting. The church has no air conditioning. Anyway, we're week four of a five-week series. The next series that we're going to be doing is going to be a series on Galatians that's going to carry us through the summer. I love preaching on Paul's writings, so that's going to be a phenomenal series. We're calling it Contrast. And so that's going to be great. We'll start that week after next. But... Today, we're still talking about the Sabbath. Have you enjoyed this series? Has this been something that's been helpful and meaningful? Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad because it's easy for us to talk about it in ways that we've always talked about it. And when we do that, I think we, we have a tendency not to plumb the depths of, of all the different aspects of this concept of Sabbath, which is really important. So I've got a question for you today. And the question is this. Why can't you Sabbath? That's the question for today. What is keeping you from Sabbathing? What is keeping you from the abundance of God that he has for you in this day, in this moment in time, in this palace in time, as the rabbi says? What is keeping you from that rest and hope that we have in the Sabbath? And there could be a lot of things. We've talked about some of them, but I think they're worth mentioning again. One of the th reasons why you might just not engage in the Sabbath is simply because it's true. You're just too busy, right? And that's maybe why you can't take time to Sabbath because you're too busy. You filled your life with so incredibly much, so, uh, so incredible, incredibly much. That doesn't sound right. So much. Let's just say it this way. Um, the, the author Brene Brown says it this way about being busy. She says, crazy busy is a great armor. It's a great way for numbing. 
What a lot of us do is we stay so busy and so out in front of our life that the truth of how we're feeling and what we really need can't catch up with us. And I think this is true for a lot of us. We fill our lives, we fill every space in our life with something, with some activity, with some opportunity, with some, you know, entertainment, with some whatever. It doesn't matter. Sometimes we fill our lives with so incredibly much that we never kind of get to our life, right? We're, we're, we're constantly ahead of it and it can't catch up to us. Maybe it's the fact that we need more. Maybe that's the reason why we are having trouble Sabbathing. We need more, right? We need money. We need more prestige. We need more influence. We need more followers. We need more ideas. All of these things drive us away from a Sabbath where we take a rest in who God is. We need things, and so we continue in the pursuit of those things. Augustine of Hippo, who was a fourth century theologian, said it this way in his book, Confessions. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. You see, we do want more. And what we think we need more of is usually not the thing that we actually do need more of. Because as Augustine said, what we need more of is Christ in our lives. The truth is this. If we were to boil it down to a word, the reason why we can't Sabbath is trust. That's it. I think we don't trust in God. We buy into the voices that tell us more, work harder, create more value, be busier. We buy into that Egyptian economy that we talked about last week, right? That economy that simply says more with less, more with less. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But in John 14, Jesus says it this way. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. This is the answer that's given to us. And by the way, we're going to talk about John 14 and a couple other verses as well throughout Scripture. And this is, this is not specifically about the Sabbath, but it is about trusting God. You want a Sabbath? You want to find rest in Christ? Then trust in God. Trust in Christ. Beyond all, all else. But you're like, wait, I can't because I've got to build this thing that I'm building. That even, the, even this thing that God has given us to build, right? we got to build this thing. we got to make this happen. Because what we want to do is we want to create value. But you do understand that imbued in creation is all the value that we ever needed. When God created us in the beginning, and we need to trust this story. In the beginning, we need to trust in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28, where God says, in our likeness, let us make man. In our image, let us make man. In our likeness, let us make man. Right? Imbued in that concept of creation is the idea that we have some intrinsic value that God pushes into us. But we still wonder about our own value for some reason. And the reason why is because economies of scarcity tell us we need more. And this is where the trust is needed. God tells us we have value intrinsically and we have to trust that. Think about it. What if your value was not tied to your production? I mean, seriously. Right? In fact, let me say it in a way that makes more sense because this is kind of ethereal, right? This doesn't make sense. 
What if you got paid just for being you? Like, what if you woke up in the morning and you know, like, the clock started? Right? Not, not that you got up and did something, but that you're up. It's you. And you woke up in the morning and you thought, all right, I'm valuable. I'm making money now. That's a dream, right? I see the smile on your faces. You're all like, yeah, it's never going to happen. I'm not talking about passive income, owning a bunch of stuff. I'm talking about you wake up in the morning and that, that like that, that it starts just cranking up. Yo, you're, you're valuable. You're worth something. And so you lie in bed and you hit snooze and you're worth something. Right? You're not being lazy. You're worth something. You hit snooze again. Just keeps ramping up the value. You hit snooze again. Now you might be lazy, but it keeps ramping up in value. Right? What would you do in the morning if you knew that all I, all I have to do is be me today? You get up, take your time, walk out in the backyard, look at the flowers you planted, just enjoy it, take a deep breath in of the air that God has made for you. Your value's still going up. You think, what am I going to have for breakfast? I don't know, I take my time. You walk over to your fence. You start stealing oranges from your neighbor who's got a great orange tree. Right? They see you, you look at them, you go, thanks, man. And they look at you like, you're valuable. Take them. You're worth at least three, four oranges. Take the oranges back, you cut them up. You don't even, you don't even, put, them in a, you don't even put them in a juicer. Like you do it yourself. You take that weird thing, you know, and you just, you juice it. Because you're not in a rush, you got nowhere to go because you're valuable. Because you mean something. Because God knows how much you cost. Think about that day. You're not rushing to get something done. You're not rushing to appointments. You don't even have appointments. You eat and wash the dishes at the same time. Can you believe that? And breakfast, they're not waiting for you when you come home. And when you leave your house, you smile as you drive because you're not in a rush. So when somebody cuts you off, you go, that's all right. I'm going to protect myself because I'm valuable. All this time, that bottom line keeps increasing because you're valuable. Do you look in the mirror and see your intrinsic value to others and to God? Or do you see kind of what it feels like most of us see, right? The lack, the cracks. For some of us, the wrinkles, the hope, hopefully, but also the hopelessness. When we find those things first and foremost, when we wake up in the morning, when we look in the mirror, that's when we most need a Sabbath. You see, because in that way, the Sabbath becomes a model of contentment. It's a moment to not even look in the mirror because you know that your value is already there. You know that your value is not going to be from what you do today but from who you are today. The pause in our week gives us a moment to understand our value. Psalmist, the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Stop it. Stop all that you're doing. Stop all that you're working for, all that you need to be. Stop all of that. I think the stillness in which the psalmist speaks is not a, a stillness of just, you know, just wait. It's a stillness of like, it, it's, gonna, it's not going to be better than this. 
But we can only do that with the trust that comes from believing that God is the provider. In fact, according to Augustine, he is what we need. So God is actually the provider and the provision. He is everything that we need and he brings that to us. Now, I gotta ask this question. Is this just an empty platitude? Cause that sounds pretty good, right? God is like, as a preacher, you write down a line like that and you're like, mm, that's got legs. Mm, that'll be good. People say that. Somebody, somebody's gonna put that on Instagram, I'm pretty sure. Right, and you feel pretty good about it. I'm not gonna lie. But sometimes like words are, like, words, are words and they sound good, but they, do they mean anything? And I think they do. And I think we can go back to John chapter 14 for that. Because remember, it said, trust in God, also trust in me. And John 14, 2 says this. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to replace, prepare a place for you. This is the text, right? Continue on trusting God. He's got what you need. He's got a place for you. Certain things will be provided for you. And listen, for us standing in the sitting in this room right now who have pretty much the majority of our needs taken care of, we can kind of get there philosophically. But the trust comes when you don't have everything. It's the same message, you know that, right? Whether it's you know the next meal or whether it's the next home that you need in heaven, God is the provider and the provision. And we have to lean into the trust that we have of him and the miracle that he creates in people's lives. John 14, three. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is just you know, a commitment to continue the relationship that God has established through Jesus with these people. This is in tangible ways. Jesus is speaking in a way that the disciples can understand. You're valuable. I'm not going to leave you here. You're not going to be lost baggage. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back to make sure that you come with me wherever I am. And this is a nod to eternity, right? And the nod to the importance of the relationship that we have with God and with Jesus. And then he throws this other thing in. He goes, and you know the way that I'm going. Right? You know the way to where I'm going. I love that Jesus added this. Because he's talking to his disciples and it feels almost like an inside joke. Right? He's almost like an inside knowledge. He's like, and you know where I'm going. Because he's talked about it a bunch. Right? The hope of heaven, the hope of eternity. He reminded of them of this insider conversation. And I love what happens next because it's so human. What happens next in this text is that Thomas says, we don't know. And he says it like that. He says it with confidence. Do you know anybody who's confidently ignorant? <laughs> right? We've all met that person. Right? As a teacher, there's that student in your class. That student will walk in eight minutes late and immediately, like, either try to answer a question or say something like, what's going on? What are we doing? Shut up, man. Sit down. Listen. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't say that. I'm a good teacher. I think it. And then I say something much better than that. But man, Thomas speaks up so quickly, right? Confidence in his ignorance. Have you ever had that much confidence in your ignorance? 
Jesus, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I've got no idea what eternity is really going to be like. I have no idea. Nobody's shown us what that's going to be like. We'll get back to that. Jesus says to him this. Listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, let's, let's, let's linger on this text for a moment because we've all heard this text specifically in the exclusivity of heaven. You only get to heaven if you know Jesus. This has been motivation for evangelism. That's great. But this has also been seen as a very exclusive statement, and a lot of people have been oppressed and hurt through Christianity because of this statement. Let's, let's remember to take a look at that context. Jesus is talking to a group of people that he's wanting to bring along. They're like, we don't know where to go. We don't really know who God is. Jesus is like, if you've seen me, and this is what he says in the next verse. If you'd really known me, you would have known who my father is. And then he goes, well, from now on, and he's reminding them, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He's making this point that if you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? This wasn't about the exclusivity of getting to heaven. This was about the sign and the expression that Jesus was for the father and for what heaven really is. And so Philip, again, in his confidence, ignorance, says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus is like, you're an idiot. I just told you that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip goes, no, I don't. Has anybody, have, have you ever been asked or have you ever asked the question, what's heaven going to be like? Because I have, I'm a pastor, right? People are like, what's heaven going to be like? Which, by the way, we read the same words in Scripture that you do. We don't know. Right? But I've heard a lot of sermons on it. Heaven's going to be like this. Heaven's going to be like that. I'm always like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But if you've seen the Sabbath, you've seen eternity. So we're asking the wrong question. A better question is, what is your Sabbath like? How do you Sabbath? Because that's what eternity is going to be like. See, the, reading this text, for me, that was the connection, right? And, and maybe you can say, well, that's a little tenuous. And I get it that this text is not speaking specifically of heaven. But man, that idea that you see something and it shows you a whole world behind it, if you've experienced the Sabbath, you've experienced eternity. There are signs of eternity everywhere, the most clear being Sabbath. And it's funny because we say we want to see signs of the kingdom of heaven, of eternity. In fact, as Adventists, that's not what we say. What we say is we want to see signs of the times. And have you noticed that the signs that we want to see aren't the signs of heaven, but they're the signs of the end? Have you noticed that? It's kind of a negative take on it, wouldn't you say? I want to know when it's all going to burn. We don't say it like that because that's not really attractive to people. But we do say things like, do you want to know the secrets unsealed? Do you want to know the mysteries of the universe? Somebody asked me what heaven's going to be like. I say, what's your Sabbath like? How do you Sabbath together? Because that's what eternity is going to be like. And we have, man, we like to focus on, I think we're just drama kings and queens, right? We're just like, I want to see what's all, it's all going to fall apart. And listen, for generations, right? 
for generations, by the way, for generations beyond Adventism, like we, we're kind of late to the game. 1844, we're like, wonder what's going to happen, right? But before a long time before that, like 1800 years or so, people are like, this is it. This is the end. This is the end. My grandmother did it. My parents did it. You know, there's this winds. What's going to happen? What's going to, how's the end going to come? I'm not interested in that conversation. What I'm interested in is what is eternity going to be like, right? That's what I want to focus on. Yeah, there may be strife, there may be wars, there may be rumors of war. Scripture speaks to all of that. And I can spend all my time thinking about that and looking for signs. And by the way, the moment you begin to look for every sign, you find it. Have you noticed that? It's like when you buy a car and you think nobody has that car until you buy it and then everybody has that car. And you're super confused. It's just because of what you're tuning into. Why do we tune into the end before we tune into eternity? Why do we tune in to the destruction and the desolation before we tune into the abundance and the long view of love. Signs point to something greater. So if the Sabbath is a sign, it is a sign of the greatness of eternity. It is a sign of the greatness and goodness of heaven, of joy, of compassion, of justice, of advocacy, of mercy, of hope. And it shows us that every single week. And we get to get used to what it's like to live in eternity. We will not be foreigners to heaven when we show up. It will be a coming home because we will have lived moments of eternity through the Sabbath that was given to us. The Sabbath is a sign and it points to the world to come. In the same way that Jesus points us to the Father, so close to be as one, this is the call of Sabbath to eternity. This is the presence of eternity in a day. And John kind of continues this conversation in John 14, right? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? We call this perichoretic language, language of mutual indwelling, mutual abiding. Sorry, big theological word, I apologize. So close to be as one. Jesus is pushing them, right? He's pushing his disciples to make a decision, to agree to the relationship that he and his Father have, that saving relationship, and that close relationship that he ultimately invites us into. Listen, in the same way Jesus invites us into his relationship with God, we are invited into eternity through the Sabbath. I find this parallel fascinating. I love the way Jesus speaks in John 14 and John 17 and John 21, where he says, I and you and you and me and they and us together. And I know, like, this series on the Sabbath has been probably a little bit different. It's okay. I know there have been people who have been frustrated because I haven't brought the hammer. But I don't think the Sabbath is about a hammer. I think the Sabbath is about the love that God has for us. The gift that he gave us in the very beginning. The gift because he understood our value and he wanted to make sure that we understood our value. So he wanted to set in time a bit of eternity so we could recognize that eternity, when we get to heaven, it's not about creating value for eternity. It's about resting in him because your value has already been placed. It never came from you to begin with. It came from God. It's not gonna get any more because it can't get any less. You are as valuable as you need to be in Jesus 
from creation, from his very thought of you. So I'll ask the question again, why can't you Sabbath? Because you're too busy doing what? Creating what? Making your bottom line matter to who? Is it your need for more? Need for more what? You're not gonna be more important than you are to God today, right now, this moment. All of these things pale in comparison to the invitation to Sabbath that comes from simply be still and know that I am God, provider and provision. In the end, the only thing that keeps us from Sabbathing is us. And the distrust that we have in the words that God said, let us make man in our own image. Let us make humankind to be and feel and move like us. So you need to enjoy the invitation. You need to embrace it and know that you are being let into the greatest gift of all eternity in a day, a palace in time built for you, the God of the universe, who probably has more to do than you do in life, says, let's take a break. Let's take a moment and recognize how important you are. If that's how we decided to live and that's how we decided to view this life that God has given us and our, our own personhood and value, man, I think a lot of things would change in the world. I truly do. I think that that light on the hill that we're asked to become would shine a lot brighter. I think that the uniqueness of our understanding of faith would be sought after as the antidote to the way we've chosen to live our lives in society. And I think the expression of love that God has for us through this moment, this pause, this Sabbath, would become a practice that people couldn't get enough of. And then rather than talking about a four-day work week, we're gonna talk about a seven-day Sabbath, one that isn't encapsulated in the temporality of the life that we live here, but one that is the full recognition of the eternity that's given to us. Let's bow our heads. Lord of the Sabbath, when we take a moment to think about time. We recognize that there is only one way to lengthen it. And the way that we lengthen it is by resting in you, by pausing the great crush 
that the world has to offer. And by taking a moment to rest fully in the value that you imbued into us. Lord, keep us focused on that so that we might understand even more greatly that you put the Sabbath in place, not as a burden, as a blessing. And Lord, help us to recognize that and live in that so that when the gates of heaven swing wide and we walk through them, we're coming home. We ask for that in your name, in the name of Jesus.